Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's our honor to have Doug with us this morning. He grew up in Niagara-on-the-Lake, went to uh, Niagara Christian Fellowship Chapel, and is one of the many fine graduates from Eden High School. And uh, post-high school, he did some mission experiences. And during these mission experiences, he... um, he gained a heart, a love for the church, and a sense of, of a call to mission. And uh, it's so important in, these, in, in our earlier years that our young people have a, an experience of mission. Um, when he had this passion for the church and mission, he went to Bible college in, in Winnipeg and then came back to University of Waterloo and did a degree in international development. And God was clarifying a call, and particularly a call to an area of Africa called the Great Lakes region, which comes naturally to you living on the Great Lakes here, being brought up in Niagara on the lake. Um, he met Deanna Wall, one of our, our young ladies who grew up in Scott Street. Together they began a journey together. First they served in Burundi for five years with MCC, then back home for five years five years at Cornerstone Church, and now back to Burundi with uh, Mennonite Brethren Missions for another five years. So 15 years of mission under your belt, and he still looks like he's 15 years of age. I don't know how you do it. (laughs) (laughs) They have three girls, Maddie, Keza, and Avery, and we're pleased uh, to have you here this morning. Thank you. Um, You are a part of us, and we look forward to hearing what God is doing in you and through you um, in, in Africa. So blessings. Thank you. And welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Rob. It's a real privilege to be with you this morning. And I want to begin by saying, as I share this morning a bit about what God's doing in Africa, I want to make it really clear that what's going on there is because we are doing it. As you pray for us, as you give sacrificially to the work in Africa through us and through MB Mission, We're doing this together. And these are not just nice words I'm saying. I really believe this. So the stories I'm going to share today about what God is doing in Africa, it's what God is doing through us. Are we together on that? I want to also apologize this morning that Deanna and the girls are not here. Um, They really, really wanted to be. But um, you're going to have to settle for their picture. Oh, it's not. Yeah. Their picture. Um, There's a family reunion happening today in London, Ontario, and uh, they're the representatives for the family, uh, from our family today. So please uh, accept the regrets of uh, particularly Deanna, who couldn't be here to be with you. Um, Yeah, it's always a a real privilege for me to stand before the church. I say that with a capital C, because I believe the church is the hope of the world. Jesus has one plan, and it's to bring his salvation and his reconciliation to this world, and he's chosen to do it through the church. The church is his body. Are we together? If I say tutukumwe, that means, are we together? And then you're supposed to say, yes. All right? I'm going to need some feedback here, because that's what I'm used to in Africa. Otherwise, it's just going to kind of go downhill. I see I have some African brothers and sisters here, so feel free to... To, to be expressive. God has chosen us. There's no plan B. We are the hope of the world, the church. So when I get to speak to the church, to share about what God's doing, and also to hopefully encourage us in the direction that he wants us to go, it's an incredible responsibility, but also an incredible privilege. 
So I'm asking that as I have the opportunity to speak to you this morning directly, that God would use my words to, to push us all a little bit forward in the journey he has all of us on. Because that's what he wants to do. I'm, I'm sure of it. So our mission, whether it's in Africa or whether it's in St. Catharines or wherever it is, is to promote the gospel of Jesus and to see Jesus made more glorious in this world. So, let me begin by sharing a few stories about the work that we're doing in Africa, and then I want to open the word, and we're going to go to the, the, um, the passage that was read already this morning from Matthew chapter 19. As you know, you don't need me to tell you that we live in a broken world. We see it every day. If we read the news or if we just look around us, Sometimes, perhaps this is more obvious in Africa, but we don't have to look there only. So I would say in the broadest sense, we're trying to help people to know their identity, to know their true identity as sons and daughters of the king. In Burundi, I would say that um, per capita, there's more Christians than there are here. The, 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 The ratio of people who say they're followers of Jesus is greater. But many people don't know who they are, and they're not making a difference necessarily in their society. We also do this in the work that we're doing by empowering local vision. Deanna and I didn't come to Burundi and to to Sub-Saharan Africa to to tell people what to do. But we're looking for Africans who know their people, who have a vision for the gospel, who have a vision to see the church transforming lives, and we're trying to get behind these people. And so we found different people in Burundi and in Malawi and in Uganda and now also in Niger and in West Africa that we're partnering with and trying to help them to accomplish the God-given vision that he has given them for their people. So what does that look like? Well, one thing we're doing is we're working with a school. We're working with a school that seeks to minister to the most marginalized of Burundian society. Now, Burundi has been said to be one of the hungriest nations in the world. So if we're working with the the most marginalized or the poorest of Burundi, we're working with some of the poorest of the poor. About 40% of the population of the school are are the pygmy people of Burundi. And everyone hates the, the pygmy people. The other groups are the Hutus and the Tutsis. You've probably heard of those people. And then there are the Batwa, the pygmy people. Now, people said, the Batwa, they're stupid. They'll never do anything in life. Don't associate with them. Even Christians who are Hutus and Tutsis are are prone to say, "Ah, do not even eat with those people, don't do anything. But through the school, now we have about 40% of the school are these Batwa kids, we're finding that they're actually very smart kids. And as they interact in the school, we're seeing Hutus and Tutsis and Batwa kids playing together. Some of the kids from from the dirt, it's very easy to get these things called chiggers. Chiggers will burrow under your nails, both in your fingers and especially in your toes when you don't wear shoes. And these things can be very disruptive. They can get many of them and then um, they cause a lot of pain. They, they lay egg sacs. We've, some of our, our kids have had these. I've had them before. They're a lot of fun. And then you have to dig them out with like a, a needle. And so we've had these kids, some, especially some of these Batwa kids, whose toes have just been full of these chiggers. And we've had Hutu and Tutsi kids who come from the city coming and taking it upon themselves to dig out the chiggers from, these, from the other kids' um, toes. Kids that they would normally not associate. Now 
they're starting to associate. This school is a Christian school. There's a chaplain there, and kids are finding Jesus at this place. I want to tell you another story from the school. It's, a, it's, a, it's an oral culture. So people don't normally read at, at, in, in this culture. So Deanna, who works especially with the school, said, we need a library at the school. But the director and the teacher said, what are you talking about? If you build a library, it's never going to be used. It's just going to sit there. And she said, no, we need a library. So the first thing she did is she started a contest with the teachers. She said, whoever reads the most books, you will get a prize. So because of the prize, the teachers began reading. And guess what happened? The teachers found that they actually like reading. So they opened a library. And we've had tons of books come from, from Canada. Um, French books through Scholastic. Um, our, our church has been doing it. And even the, the Virgil School, which is called Crossroads, have, they've been doing book drives. And we've got tons of books. We still need a lot of books to come to the school. Guess what happens in this library? Every day, during recess, during lunch hour, the, the library is full. Kids are in the library reading voraciously. They're loving the books and they're learning. On top of this, a couple months ago, the chaplain of the school is in the school with a bunch of the students and um, they're having a deep conversation. In fact, they're talking about the problem of sin right there in the library. I know you're supposed to be quiet in the library, but this is a good conversation that was going on. The kids are, are talking, well, sin, what do I do with my sin? And then they turn to Deanna, who's sitting right there, and they say to Deanna, do you have sin? And she said, well, of course I do. Really? You have sin? They couldn't believe it. So then the chaplain asked him, his name is Meshach. His brothers are Shadrach and Abednego. <laughs> do you want to get rid of your sin? And they say, yeah, we do. And so right there, 15 kids say a prayer and say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I surrender my life. I believe that you can take sin away from me. And this is what's going on at the school. Kids are getting a, a, a great education. It's, it's known to be the best school in the province. And uh, kids are finding Jesus. Does it get any better than that? We're praying that these kids are going to be missionaries to their own people in the hillsides of Burundi. Another thing that we're doing, we're working with pastors and with churches. And like I said at the beginning, Burundi has many Christians, but many Christians don't know what their role in the kingdom is. And many churches don't know that there's a purpose for the church. That the church is to be on mission. And that churches are created to, to create other churches, to plant other churches and see the gospel go forward. So we're working with a, a, a local man, a Burundian man named Onisfor, who is working very diligently and, and prayerfully in introducing a program to invest and to disciple pastors to understand and to, to shepherd their people and to, to, to create disciples in the church. Our part in that is preaching and teaching and also discipling pastors, which happens pretty regularly. We've also begun to work recently with business people. Business people are important for the kingdom of God. It's not just the pastors who are important. We need business people who understand their role in the kingdom. And especially in a place like Burundi where it's so poor. So this September we're beginning a, a, first a work with pastors, uh, a training with pastors to understand, you know what, your business people, they're important. They need to understand their God-given role in the kingdom, the impact that their businesses can have, the impact that they can have on other people. 
And then lastly, and there's many things I could share, but this is the last thing I'll share this morning. We're working very specifically with a ministry discipling people in a very holistic way. Again, given the poverty in the country, we can't just minister to the, to the, the spiritual needs of people. There's a Burundian proverb that says a, a hungry stomach has no peace. So if we're not also considering people's financial status and, and if they're having things to eat, we need to think about all of these things. And so we've begun a program. Um, it's some training that we've got from the Navigators Ministry. And we'll do a training. And then after that, we disciple people. And if the goal is to have a bucket that's full of water constantly, it's important that we help people to fill the holes in the bucket, whether it's socially or whether it's economically or whether it's spiritually. And so God's been doing some amazing things through this program. And if the video is queued up, we're going to show a video right now. It's a testimony of a woman who has been touched through this program of holistic, whole life discipleship. My name is Odette Nahimana. At first, I had no hope at all. I was living as an outcast with no worth in the community. When this group started, it was like when Peter and John met the lame man by the gate of the temple. He got someone to hold his hand. So this group also held my hand and I began praying and having hope. I was living a miserable life. I had to beg to eat. Or sometimes, when people felt sorry for me, they would give me food. Before I joined the group, God used MB Mission to distribute food to us during the crisis and giving us charcoal and money for produce. Then after that, that gave me hope that I can live in this world like any other person. Then my worldview began to change. What has helped me so much in this group is the prayer life. We meet every Tuesday and we pray together. Then after meeting in prayer, we also teach one another about development and how we can thrive in this life. And we even started to grow crops. And they also gave us Irish potatoes seed. We grew those potatoes and we harvested them. After harvesting that crop, we were able to take home more potatoes to plant in our gardens. But the problem was because I'm not from here, I didn't have land and I needed to find someone from Ngozi with that garden to help me. Miraculously, I found one. I planted 49 kilograms of potatoes and harvested 400 kilograms. Right now, as we talk, I have been changed fully and I try to share my hopes with others and I'm seeing the change, even in the way I, I walk and talk. 
I'm no longer begging. In fact, I'm able to bless others with what I have. So I used the charcoal that was distributed as the capital to start my charcoal business. Now I can provide food and shelter for myself and can even bless others by giving. My hopes now are that I am no longer the way I was. I can now testify about Jesus to others that he really can transform lives. And even others in the community are being transformed because of me. I want to make Jesus known and testify to others what he has done for me. And then I also hope that one day I might be delivered from my disability. Now, people who used to see me beg are amazed at how much I've changed. They come to learn from me. I want people to be able to see past my disability and see into my hope and future. story. Isn't that a great story? That's the power of the gospel at work, brothers and sisters. That's what God wants to do in this world. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that it? Right there, the kingdom of God manifesting itself in the life of Odette, someone who was born with a a disability, who didn't have enough, who was begging on the street. Now she has sufficient, and she's helping other people. She knows Jesus, and she wants others to know Jesus. Does it get any better than that? Praise God. We get to be part of that. And brothers and sisters, so do you. So thank you for the opportunity to, to be with you this morning and to share God is changing lives, and uh, it's exciting to be part of it. Well, I've labeled the, or I've called this message this morning the impetus for mission, and, and uh, it might not be the best um, title because there's a few different things that are going to come out through this passage, but the risk in, in me as someone who is called a missionary um, talking about this is it would seem, it could seem that not just literally am I looking down on you from up here, but um, that I have the answers. But I want to tell you unequivocally that what I'm sharing this morning is, is really what God has been doing in my own heart. Because no matter where we are, and even if I'm on missions in Africa, I have further to go. And this is what was stirring, God was stirring in my own heart through my own Bible reading just a, a, a month or so ago. And it's what I want to share with you this morning, some thoughts from this passage. And again, I want to I reiterate that my, my desire in sharing this is, is a belief that God wants to move us all forward in a walk, in a journey. That we don't stay where we are, that we don't stay static, but um, because this walk of Christianity is really about relationship. The invitation is for all of us to move forward. So my prayer this morning is that God would be moving us all forward 
in our relationship with Him and, and in our um, pursuit of Him and, and, and in the mission that He's called us to. Are we together so far? So let's take a look at this passage. It's been read already. It's been read already, and you saw it on the on the screen. Um, so we saw there's a it's a rich young man, and he comes to Jesus. He wants eternal life. It's a good thing to want. And though he's young and wealthy, he realizes that there's something more. Something's missing. And he's humble enough to ask the question to Jesus, or maybe he's crazy enough and say, Jesus, what must I do to get eternal life? Now, clearly, he's a pretty good guy. He's a pretty good guy. He's keeping all of these commandments that Jesus outlines. He says, I've done all these since I was young. But the young man is not satisfied. He realizes that something is missing. Even though he's doing so many good things, even though he's such a nice guy, something is missing. Yes, I've kept all those, but something is missing. I don't know what it is. What do I still lack? He asks Jesus. And I wonder if this was exactly the opening that Jesus was waiting for. I wonder if Jesus initially responded in kind to the way he asked the question, what must I do? And Jesus outlines a bunch of things. And then when he says, but there's something still missing, what must I do yet? And Jesus says, aha, I'm glad you asked. And then he says to him, go, if you want to be perfect, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So let's break this down a little bit. First of all, Jesus says to sell your possessions. Now, is this a question for all of us? Is Jesus saying to every one of us, if you want to be perfect, sell your possessions? Well, I know we want an answer. I'm not going to answer that, actually. I'm going to leave that hanging. But I will say, I don't think so. I don't think he's telling us all to sell our possessions. But I think in this case, it's clear that this is something that has a hold on this young man. His possessions. You see, Jesus is now going after his heart. Okay, he's been doing lots of good things. And that's nice. But Jesus wants more. He wants his heart. We sang so much, and thank you, Matt, for leading us in a number of songs that talked about surrender. And that's exactly what Jesus was looking for. And I wonder if the young man's fulfilling of the commandments were, were, were more about himself than they were about Jesus. What must I do to get eternal life? Now Jesus is showing that true life comes when we surrender what we have. The things that, we, that have a hold on us. Second of all, Jesus says, give to the poor. This is caring for the least. This must be something that comes from deep within and requires actually a giving up of ourselves. Usually it requires getting into some other people's lives and it's not comfortable. It's not easy and it's costly. Ministry to the poor though is actually an imperative. As we root through the scriptures, we see it coming up again and again as being so important. You remember the story in Matthew 25 of the sheep and the goats? Jesus said, those who are with me are those who took care of me, who fed me, who came to visit me in prison, those who clothed me. And the disciples said, when did we do that? And Jesus said, when you did this to the least of these, you did it to me. 
We see also in Galatians chapter 2, there's a big discussion going on in the early church about circumcision. And there's a debate happening about this. And finally, they come to a resolution, and the, the, the main church that, that had leaders say, okay, so it's okay if people aren't, the Gentiles are not um, circumcised, but there's a few things they have to hold to, including caring for the poor. Of all the things that could have been reiterated, that could have been foundationalized, let's, let's make that a word, foundationalized, was that they would minister to the poor. This is an imperative for us who follow Jesus. It's not optional. And I believe it, it actually reveals our salvation. It reveals the work of God in our lives. The motivation comes from a different place. It's self-sacrificing that's born out of a surrender to Jesus, rather than the action being a bid for salvation in itself. The third thing Jesus says, if you do these things, you will gain treasure in heaven. So ultimately, the goal here is heaven. It's not ourselves, and it's not us gaining good feelings by doing good works. Are we together on that? That's easy for us, and it's easy for me to get good feelings from from doing things. And that's not bad, but it can't be all that it is. It means that the reward might not be here on earth. This is not the goal. And also, our personal comfort and safety is not the goal. The focus is heavenly reward, which means we can sacrifice now. For the young man, he wanted eternal life, but he also was prioritizing a nice, safe, comfortable life now. And this is what Jesus was going after. If you want to be perfect, sell your possessions, minister to the poor... And then you will have eternal life. And then fourthly, then come and follow me. Remember, again, the young man's original question is, what must he do? It's focused on him. But Jesus says that he, Jesus, must be the focus. It's a change of focus, changing from doing to being. And it's about relationship with Jesus. Remember, we're human beings, not human doings. Now, if you're like me with a good Mennonite work ethic, it's pretty easy for us to slide into trying to impress Jesus with what we do. But he's calling us to change and to change our direction and to follow him. So let's pause and personalize this for a minute. Jesus said that the young man to be perfect in answer to his question about how to gain eternal life He needed to do a few things. Sell his possessions, give to the poor, seek treasure in heaven, come, follow Jesus. So a couple questions I'm asking myself because of this. First of all, and you can ask these questions with me this morning. What are the possessions or the thoughts or the ways of being that have a hold on us? Those things that we can't imagine ever giving up. The things that are blocking us from a fuller life on mission. And again, I'm not saying to go to Africa, but I'm saying a life of mission where we're, we're surrendering our life to Jesus in the day to day. For some of us, it might even be the ministry we're doing. And I, to be honest with you, I have to ask myself, could it be ever that Burundi is an identity 
thing for me that I need to give up? Do I need to lay down Burundi for Jesus? What about for the rest of us? Maybe it's, it's our money, like the rich young man. Or maybe it's the pursuit of money. For some of us, it might be our career or our education. For others of us, it might be sin that has a hold on us. That Jesus wants to free us from. That's holding us back from, from operating in our true identity as sons and daughters of the King. That He wants to accomplish great and wonderful things through simple people like you and me. Jesus is inviting each and every one of us to fulfill what is lacking, to experience fullness and hope and assurance. So I want to invite you this morning to be honest with yourselves, as I'm trying to do with myself, and ask yourselves, what is it that is standing in the way of full surrender to Jesus? Because it would seem from the question of the young man and from the answer of Jesus that eternity is at stake. Here's a second question. How is our love quotient? What is our motivation for good works? Is it me focused? Or does it stem from the realization and wonder of God's love for you and for me? Is our love growing for one another? You know, as I read through Paul's letters, it seems like in every single letter, Paul gets back to love and saying that your love must be increasing And I pray that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. In Ephesians, he says something similar. He's praying that they would come to the full understanding of all the good things they have in Christ and the the depth of his love, how high and wide and long and deep is God's love. What is our love quotient? This is a high priority. And I tell you that this love extends to the least of these, to the poorest of the poor, the down and out. And even to our enemies. One of the places we work is in Malawi. And um, the work there began in a refugee camp. In fact, the, uh, the one that we first connected to in Malawi is a, a young man named Safari. Safari comes from eastern Congo. In fact, I knew Safari in Congo in 2003. He was a member of the Mennonite Brethren Church there. I knew him for a couple years and then all of a sudden he was gone. I didn't know what happened to him. Well, I found out years later that he ended up in the refugee camp in Malawi, just outside of the capital, Lilongwe. It's a a big refugee camp. There's about 45,000 people in one refugee camp. I visited that camp on numerous occasions, and it's not a happy place. Hopeless. Some people have lived there for like 20 years in this desolate, dry, dusty place where people, the the suicide rate is is high and, and many bad things are happening. So Safari arrived in this place and he realized something could be done here. In fact, he believed that the, the, the message of Jesus, which some of us Mennonites have captured, the message of peace and reconciliation was a, a necessary thing for the people of the refugee camp. You can imagine people from different nationalities all living together in this poor, desperate place. Tons of conflict. So Safari began a church. And he began teaching Jesus' messages about peace and about reconciliation. And this was a focus of the church. Well, one day, Safari's resolve about this, peace and reconciliation, were, were sorely tested. A man showed up on his doorstep in the refugee camp. 
He had recently arrived from Congo and he was looking for a place to stay. It wasn't long before Safari found out who this guy was. It was the very man who had killed his parents in Congo and why Safari had fled the country for no other reason than because of their ethnicity. What was Safari going to do? I tell you, Safari welcomed this man into his house. He welcomed him into his house. He began to disciple him. This man became a follower of Jesus. Safari forgave him. This man is now one of the leaders in the church, in the refugee camp. So I ask this again, how is our love quotient? How are we doing with loving those right close to us? How are we doing with loving the least of these? How are we doing with loving even our enemies? Thirdly, is eternity in our mind's eye? Or are we living for the now? Are we focused on making this our heaven so that we are not thinking towards eternity? I think it's possible. I think sometimes my African brothers and sisters have a, a better understanding of, of eternity than, than perhaps we do or perhaps than I do. When someone dies, there's no question, there's no inquisition or anger. It's usually an attitude of, well, this is part of life. And I, I feel like sometimes here in, in our culture, there's, there's suing that goes on and there's, there's questions and there's anger and it wasn't his time. I want to be careful how I say that. But the question I'm asking myself is if we truly believe and we're truly living for eternity, believing that there's something better coming, then there needs to be also a rejoicing that happens when someone passes. Yes, it's terrible when it's someone who is young. And and I'm not saying that that's not true. But hear me. We long for this. And this is what we live for. And so we seek to, to see Jesus' hope and his, his reconciliation and his goodness come to this earth now, believing also that there's something greater coming. That this life is not everything. A deep longing. And then the fourth question. Are we making moves to more deeply and follow Jesus? And I ask, what's standing in the way for you and for me this morning? You know, the story of the rich young man is actually an incredibly sad story. He recognizes he has a need. He recognizes that something is missing. And he wants to find out what it is. However, the things of this earth, the things of this world, the riches, have captivated him. And they supersede his his question and his desire for for that feeling of something lacking. And he goes away. He makes a... A physical move away from, D, from Jesus. The, the word says he turned from Jesus and walked away. Do we see how sad this is? Can this story apply to us today? Is it possible that some of us too, like the rich man, can seek to impress Jesus with our good acts, our righteousness? Is it possible that we've dabbled in Jesus following, doing the good work stuff, walking the straight and narrow, thinking that this is what Jesus' idea of living a perfect life means, when what he truly expects is a life of surrender? For to come and and follow him surely means a life on mission. 
I was reading in Hosea this morning and, and I saw that God is fatigued. He's tired by the Israelites' sacrifices and their words. What he expects is acknowledgement of him, knowing him. He wants people to know him. This is the God, brothers and sisters, that we serve. A God who wants us to know him. No other religion can boast this kind of a God who wants to be in relationship with us. This is astounding. In the Burundian context, we have a society where the majority would call themselves Christian, but there's rampant mistrust of one another, even in the church. People are quite ready to lie to one another in order to save face. Corruption is common at all levels. So I ask, is this surrender to Jesus? And then I look at my own culture, us, me included, and I see our own issues. We're consumed by consuming. We're being shaped by media and a pluralistic agenda. And I see in my own life some of these same tendencies. I see a leaning towards self-righteousness that rears its ugly head in judgmentalism. And it's ugly and it's wrong. So what about us? What is it that we're still, God is still saying, Jesus is saying, surrender, surrender this, surrender all to me. What's special about the story of Odette that we saw on the screen before? She was at the bottom. She realized that she needed Jesus and nothing else could compare. Nothing is crowding Jesus out for her. No things, no wealth, no need to protect wealth, no reputation. She's free. She, just, she has sufficiency. She knows her creator and her savior. And she's unafraid of the future because she knows the one who made her and the one who is preparing a home for her. Similarly, Paul, though he had reason to have confidence in the flesh, like Odette, he did not. Listen to what he says. All my profit I consider loss for the sake of Jesus I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but one that comes from God and is by faith. And listen to this. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his, share, of his suffering, of his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul, the super apostle, is saying, I want to know Christ. What? Paul, you know Christ. You're the man. I want to go further. So I'm asking myself some more questions in being in relationship with Odette and reading about Paul. Ask these questions with me. Is my ultimate goal my daily pursuit to know Christ? Is this what wakes me up in the morning? What is crowding this out? What are the things that vie for my attention? Second of all, am I looking for and expecting the power of the resurrection in my daily life? In terms of living in grace, in terms of extending grace and forgiveness and, and, and forgiveness like, like safari? Am I expecting God to show up in powerful ways that he would accomplish what only he can do? 
whether it's greater freedom in my life or it's salvation of a loved one or a neighbor or, or healing of a sick person, a word of wisdom, if it's true that I'm called to be his son and adopted into his family and he calls us his friends, am I expectant? In October of 2016, I was having coffee with a friend in Burundi. And all of a sudden, the room started to spin. And I thought, wow, this is weird. Must have been a funky coffee I had. So what do you do then? Well, I jumped on my motorcycle and started driving. I went to a grocery store, and then I went to another grocery store, and then I went home. And by the time I got home, I barely made it into my bedroom and to the bathroom and began... um, Losing my, what was inside of me. Let me just say that. That's a polite way. And there I was, literally for hours, on the floor, in front of the toilet. Finally, I made it to my bed, and I fell asleep, completely exhausted. And this began something that was happening in me, and I found out at Christmas time that year that it was something called Meniere's disease. Something that, that is in the inner, inner ear. And uh, I would get uh, ringing in my ears, and then I would have this extreme vertigo that would um, incapacitate me for, for hours. I travel a lot in Africa. And I began to wonder, how am I going to continue to do the ministry that God has called us to if I have this? If this happens on an airplane, I will never be able to fly again. And I felt God asking me, what are you going to do? And I felt like the answer was, God, I'm going to keep going as much as I can. I'm going to keep going. The next year, 2017, I went to some meetings um, with ICOM and MB Mission in in Thailand. And there, I had another episode. I'd had quite a number of episodes around Christmas time. And um, I had one there in Thailand. And the very next day, some people gathered around me to pray. Probably for three hours, these people were praying for me. I didn't notice anything happening inside of me, changing But from that moment on, I've never had another ringing in my ear. I've never had another episode of Meniere's disease. Praise God. The power of the resurrection working in me. A simple person, yet his son. And I believe, not all the time, but God does want to do the miraculous. He does want to move amongst us. He does want to use us for his glory and for his kingdom. Are we expectant? Are we looking for God to work in and through us? Thirdly, am I looking, am I avoiding any and all suffering? Or is Jesus so big in my mind and eternity so captivating that I'm ready to surrender my safe life? Is Jesus' love for me and therefore my love for him so great that I'm ready to abandon all for him? So I'm asking, like the rich young man this morning, do I want eternal life? And ask you the same question. Do you want eternal life? Is this what we want? Or are we asking, what do I still lack? Is there something that inside of us saying, oh, something's missing? If that's the question you're asking this morning, then, then take seriously some of these questions we've been asking and talk to someone. Because the Father, the good Father, wants, us, wants to move us further into relationship with Him. He wants to use us for His glory. He wants to use us to see His kingdom come on this earth. Each and every one of us, 
invitation to a life of surrender and a life on mission more fully, more deeply every day because he's good, because he wants to be in relationship with each and every one of us. I pray this morning that God, by his Holy Spirit, would be moving all of us in this direction because the world is waiting. We read in in Romans chapter 8 that all of creation is groaning and longing for the sons of God to be revealed. Can you believe that? Could it mean that when the birds sing, they're actually singing, Hey, we're the sons of God. Where are you? We need you. I wonder sometimes. Brothers and sisters, we're the sons and the daughters of the great king. The one who's preparing a home for us. So let's join him in what he's doing in this earth. Let's join him. I'm not saying that you're not doing it already. But hear me again. He wants to move us all forward. He wants to move move me forward in this pursuit, in this mission, in this relationship with him. May God help us in all of this. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being obedient to the Father. Thank you. Thank you that you are reconciling all things to yourself. And not only that, you're inviting us to be your ambassadors of this reconciliation, this message that the Father wants to be back in relationship with his rebel creation. So God, this morning we speak against the lies that are spoken into our lives about who we are and about who we're not. And I am praying for freedom in the name of Jesus over our lives to walk in the truth about who you say we are. You call us friends. I no longer call you servants. A servant does not know the master's business, but a friend, he knows. And so we seek to join with you, God, in the freedom of relationship with the good Father. Would you move us all in that direction today for your glory? We pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. listening. For any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.